Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. We'll try and cram as much as we can into this hour-long program. We'll try and do it in 25 minutes. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about some contradictions, exposing atheist contradictions. And uh, we talked about issues like there's no objective purpose to life. Atheists will say that. We talked about you ought not impose your morals on others. They'll say that. We talked about we talked last week about how religious people ought not be involved in lawmaking or politics. And we talked about how the goal of life is to is to be happy. Many of the secularists will say. We also talked a little bit about how they said we need to teach our kids about safe sex. We talked all about that last week. So if you want some of the discussion on those issues, you can today if we can get to it. I want to talk about the assertion that atheists make that you can choose your own gender. I also hope to get to this question of Islam, because it's in the news right now. Let's deal with the the assertion that a person can choose his own gender. Now, what's the assumption behind that? Well, the assumption behind that is there are no natures, that biology is relative. There are no biological facts. Man and woman do not really exist. There's no such thing as men and women because we're fluid. Now, there's an inherent contradiction here. Why? Because in order to even reference men and women, you have to know what they are, right? In order for a man to say, I can become a woman, or a woman to say, I can become a man, they would have to presuppose what a man or a woman is. So the very assertion that a person can choose his own gender assumes that there are genders. Now, I came across this study, uh, actually a survey done by the Pew Research Organization, and I may have mentioned this a few weeks ago to you guys. I, I, I can't believe the results of this survey, but here's, here's what they found, that 54% of Americans say that gender is determined by the gender that they were assigned at birth. It's really not a very good worded survey if you think about it. Your gender isn't assigned at birth. Your gender is recognized at birth. It's discovered at birth and sometimes even pre-born. If you do a proper test, you can figure out whether you've got a boy or a girl in there, obviously. While 40, this means, of course, friends, that 44% of Americans say that someone can be a man or a woman, even if that is different from the sex that they were, quote-unquote, assigned at birth. Forty-four percent. And about, they checked this across political lines as well, and they found out that 77 percent, over three-quarters of Democrats with a bachelor's degree or more, say that you can change your gender. Seventy-seven percent. Now, I say this in our book, uh, Stealing from God. Here's an observation I've noticed about conservatives and liberals. Conservatives try to adjust their behavior to fit the facts of nature, whereas liberals try to adjust the facts of nature to fit their behavior. Now, 
no matter how well-intended that is, trying to adjust the facts of nature to fit your behavior is an approach that's going to lead to tragic results. People will suffer when we pass laws that ignore nature's laws, that ignore biological reality. We can't change the facts of nature by passing laws. Good laws attempt to conform our desired behavior to reality. They do not attempt to conform reality to our desired behavior. And if we can't see that, we're, we're lost. Now, now, here's my application to Christianity with regard to um, this obvious, odd situation where you have 44% of Americans saying you can change your gender. And, and 77% of college-educated Democrats say that. Here's the observation, or the application, maybe. When you hear people say that there is no evidence that God exists, I mean, there's a lot of atheists that will say, there's no evidence that God exists. You hear them say this all the time. Perhaps you should ask them if there is any evidence that gender exists. Because if they say no, if they are not willing to see the evidence of gender, to recognize the evidence of gender right in front of them, then how are they going to be willing to see evidence of God? I mean, if they're willing to deny the truth about human bodies that they can see and touch, then how will they be willing to accept the truth about God whom they can't see and touch? It just reflects the state of mind that they're in. Now, I'm not talking about the 0.3% of people who claim to have gender dysphoria. We need to pray for people who experience this psychological mismatch between their minds and their bodies. I'm not talking about the 0.3%. I'm talking about everybody else who denies the biological facts of nature. And according to Pew again, that's 44% of Americans, including 77% of college-educated Democrats. Now, actually, even those who have gender dysphoria recognize that they have a gender. Otherwise, they wouldn't be experiencing a psychological mismatch between their body and their mind. It's just that 44% of Americans believe what is physically and biologically impossible. You can't change your gender. So if someone refuses to admit what they know for certain about the material human body, they're not likely to be objective about an immaterial God. If they are willfully blind, and that's what I call this is just, just willful blindness, if they are willfully blind, I'm talking about the people who don't have gender dysphoria again. I'm just talking about these 44% of Americans out there. If they are willfully blind about humanity, you have to suspect that they're going to be willfully blind about God. Let me, let me say this another way. I want to just make sure that I'm driving this point home. If they can't admit a material reality which they can see and know personally, because after all, they are a gender. Personally, they're a gender then how are they going to admit the existence of an immaterial reality which they can't see and they aren't personally? None of us are God. And if we're going to deny what we know about ourselves, what is obvious about ourselves, then, gee, we're going to be much more apt to deny what we, we don't see directly. We know God by his effect. We have a creation. We know there must be a creator. We know there's a moral law written on our hearts. So there must be a moral law giver. By the way, that's the same way you know gravity exists by its effects. When you see something falling to the ground, you're not seeing gravity. You're seeing the effects of gravity. So we know God by his effects. And yet, if we look at our bodies and we realize we're male or female, and we can't admit that, 
that we can actually change that, then we're going to be a lot less open to admitting the truth about God. And by the way, this, it seems to me this is one piece of evidence that shows that the religion of sex, which is the new religion in America, is far less reasonable than the religion of Christianity. I mean, if you're going to deny obvious truths about yourself, you're probably going to deny less obvious truths about God. Christianity accepts and explains the fact that there are men and women. Yet according to Pew, 44% of Americans appear to at least partially buy into the religion of sex. Again, that includes 77% of college-educated Democrats who actually deny the biological facts about men and women. Now, question, ladies and gentlemen, who here is following science? The Christians or the religion of sex? I mean, please, if you can't admit the biological facts of nature, and you are one of those biological facts, then you're being unscientific. Now, I can also, I can, I can hear people out there saying, oh, well, Christians are unscientific, too. They deny this about, you know, the age of the universe. They deny this about, you know, evolution and all these things. Well, first of all, there's a big difference between empirical science and forensic science. Empirical science is something you can repeat in the laboratory and witness right now. And that's biology. You can witness what somebody is right now. That's an empirical science. That's much more certain than a forensic science. A forensic science is trying to investigate the past, trying to get at what happened in the past. And the big questions that Christians and atheists argue over are not questions of empirical science. Well, actually, I've got to take that back because right now, apparently, we are. We're arguing over whether gender exists and it's fixed. <laughs> it's just crazy. That's an empirical fact that there are men and women. Yet, the issues that we really argue over are origin questions or forensic questions. The big three scientific questions that Christians and atheists argue over are the origin of the universe, the origin of first life, and the origin of subsequent life forms. Those are all historical questions or forensic questions or origin questions. They occurred in the past. They're not quite as certain as empirical questions, because empirical questions you can, you can experiment on. You can go in the laboratory and repeat over and over again. You can witness somebody who's a male or a female. Take, take a blood from them. Discover what their gender is. You can, you can figure this out right now and repeat it over and over again but you can't repeat the origin of the universe. You can't witness the origin of the universe. You can't repeat uh, the origin of first life or subsequent life forms. Those are historical questions. And Christians are, I think, following science when it comes to biology on the empirical side. I also think it's true of the forensic side. And it seems now that 44% of Americans don't want to agree with that. Think about this, friends. The capacity for human self-deception is enormous. Paul, the Apostle Paul, is absolutely correct when he observes that human beings suppress the truth about God to go their own way. He talks about this in Romans chapter 1. We suppress the truth because we want to do our own thing. And this self-deception is so great that people are not only suppressing the truth about God, but they are suppressing the truth about themselves, about their own biology, their own gender. They're denying the undeniable. They are saying they don't know what in reality they can't not know. They can't not know that they're a male or a female, leaving aside the very, very small number of people who may be born intersex. Everybody else, 99.9% .9 of people out there, or 99.7, whatever it is, 
Everybody else understands there are two genders, and they understand they're one or the other. And to deny that is to deny really what is undeniable. So again, I want you to ask somebody who says there's no evidence for God. Is there any evidence that gender exists? <laughs> if they say no, if they say it's not fixed, I don't know how much hope there is for such a person. I mean, if they're willing to deny the obvious, if they're willing to deny what is, is part of their own body, then how are they going to accept an immaterial body beyond the world who created and sustained their own bodies? They're, they're probably not. So just an observation. You might want to ask that question if you're talking to somebody. Now, this has had implications elsewhere. Uh, in Mississippi, the Supreme Court of Mississippi is now going to have to unscramble the eggs that the United States Supreme Court has scrambled. Because the Mississippi Supreme Court will hear a case this coming Wednesday on whether a 44-year-old Chris Strickland should be listed as the legal parent of a now six-year-old Zayden Strickland. Because a lower court judge ruled during the divorce that Strickland wasn't a parent. Now, Strickland's a woman, and she had a same-sex marriage to another woman, and if, look, if I read you the details of this case, it would be too hard to follow on radio. You need an org chart to figure out what's claiming or what's, what's going on, who's claiming what. But basically what happened is two women got a same-sex marriage in Massachusetts in 2010. A man donated a sperm to one of the women who gave birth to, the, to a child. Then that lesbian couple got a same-sex divorce, and one of the women— one of the two women in the, in the so-called same-sex marriage got, got, got or left that marriage and married a man. And, and that, that woman took the child. And now the court has to decide, United, or the Mississippi Supreme Court has to decide who the mother and the father are. And the lower court judge said this, can Dayton have three parents? Both these ladies who are married to each other and the father. The court is of the opinion, the answer is no, said Rankin County Chancery Court Judge John Grant. Here's what he said. The court finds that two women cannot conceive a child together. The court does not find its opinion to be a discriminatory statement, but a biological fact, unquote. Now, I say amen, but it's crazy that we have to say amen to this. Of course it's a biological fact. Two women cannot conceive a child together. They always need a man to do so. So here's the question. Is the, is the uh, Mississippi Supreme Court going to rule according to the biological fact that every child, no matter how conceived, according to reality, has a mother and a father, whether it's a natural conception or in vitro conception? I mean, when a court denies biological facts, when a court denies reality, as the United States Supreme Court has done in ignoring the biological reality that many women are different when they came up with their Oberfeld decision and said same-sex marriage is just like natural marriage, when they've done that, then we've transitioned from the goal that justice be blind to the scary thought that the court is blind. They're willfully blind. So let's see what the Mississippi Supreme Court says to this. Um, 
<laughs> it's crazy we've been talking about this, but we are. That's where we are in America right now. The religion of sex is trying to it's trying to destroy basic biological facts. It's trying to deny them. And look, the underlying issue when it comes to sexuality and gender is not just who is God, but who is man? Who are human beings? Are we men and women made in the image of God, which means we don't look like God. It means that, that, that we're, because he's not a physical being, it means that we're a person like God, that we have mind, emotion, and will. Or are we just overgrown germs with no real meaning or purpose? And apparently, according to, uh, according to uh, the United States Supreme Court, well, on one hand, they say there's no purpose, or on the other hand, they'll say, well, there is a purpose, and uh, you get to define your own purpose, as Justice Kennedy famously said in the Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision. Um, so it's, it's just a mess. There's no coherence to this sexual revolution. It's, it's contradictory, and yet people just plow ahead with it. Um, and Christians just need to start asking questions of other people just to reveal uh, the incoherence in their own, own worldview. When, they, when people are willfully blind to the basic biological facts, their own biological facts. I'm not talking about any sort of biological facts with regard to evolution or any of that. I'm just talking about their own biological reality right now, whether they're a man or a woman, when, when, or whether there are men and women. When, when, when people who don't have gender dysphoria now, these are just people, 44% of Americans, who say that uh, you can change your gender. When, when they can't accept biological realities, I'm not sure there's very much hope that they're going to accept that God exists. Now, I've got a lot more on this, but this is a short program. I, I want to talk a little bit about what, what happened this week with regard to uh, President Trump and a series of tweets or a tweet he put out about uh, some anti, uh, what are called anti-Islamic videos or anti-Muslim videos. There was a, a, a headline in the Washington Post that said, Britain furious, Trump unapologetic as fallout swells from anti-Muslim videos. Now, I don't have time to read the whole This was in the Washington Post. And, and here's a section of it. The British revolt against President Trump swelled Thursday with Parliament members openly deriding him and Britain's prime minister standing by their denunciations of, truth, of Trump's tweets of a fringe group's anti-Muslim videos. Now, it doesn't say, the article says nothing about what the content of the video was. You have to actually watch a Washington Post video to understand what the videos apparently were about, but there's nothing in the article. The question is, Anti-Muslim videos. My question, what's in these videos? And why do you, what do you mean anti-Muslim? Because allegedly, if you watch these videos, these are supposedly videos of Muslims throwing teenagers off a roof. That's one of them. Another is a Muslim destroying a statue of the Virgin Mary. And another, apparently, is a Muslim teenager beating up another teenager. That's what these are. And these are called anti-Muslim videos because they're put out by an organization called Britain First, okay? Uh, and whether or not these videos are really um, true in the sense, I mean, these events really happened, don't get me wrong, but whether these uh, happened as the British First people said they happened isn't really the point. The point that the uh, Trump's uh, Huckabee Sanders, her, his uh, British, sorry, his British, his press secretary said, the content of the videos, whether or not they really are um, as the British first people say they are, 
She says that's not the point. The point is, is that this stuff happens in the Islamic world and jihad is real and we need to be concerned about it. And obviously jihad is more prevalent in Britain right now than it is in the United States. They've had several attacks over there. So I, I don't know whether these videos uh, are as British First says they are, but they're clearly Muslim aggression. And that's the point. And yet the Washington Post calls them anti-Muslim videos. Maybe they're just reporting the truth here, these videos. Why would they be anti-Muslim if they're just reporting what some Muslims have done or the violence that some Muslims have, have perpetrated on other people? Why do you call them anti-Muslim? They're just, they're just news stories. And here's what the article says. Prime Minister Theresa May blasted Trump for crossing a line by posting inflammatory videos on his Twitter page Wednesday and then warning May to essentially mind her own business and focus on Islamic terrorism instead of him. Trump's latest missive prompted an urgent debate in Parliament on Tuesday where politicians across the political divide lined up to condemn the president's tweet. In remarks rarely uttered about a U.S. president in the House of Commons, some parliamentarians mocked uh, Trump as stupid. In fact, here's, here's the quote. Stephen Daughterly, or Daughty, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, a Labor Party lawmaker told Parliament, here's the quote, by sharing it, he is either racist, incompetent, or unthinking, or all three. Okay, let me stop right there. This is the point I need to make here, friends. I don't care whether Trump is stupid or not. That's not the point. It's what this guy's saying. I actually think this guy is stupid. Why? Because he's saying that Trump is a racist for pointing out that some Muslims do violent things. Ladies and gentlemen, can, we, can this guy and can, can we realize that Islam is not a race. There are white Muslims, black Muslims, yellow Muslims, brown Muslims, uh, red Muslims. Muslims are not a race. Islam is not a race. Islam is an ideology. It's a religion and an ideology. Even Richard Dawkins, to his credit, recognizes this. So when they call somebody Islamophobic, it's like you're calling somebody a racist, and this guy's calling somebody who thinks that um, pointing out that there's violence in the Muslim world is racist. How is that racist? If anybody's stupid, I, I hate to say this, but this guy is. For calling Trump stupid, when Trump's just pointing out, look, there's violence in the Muslim world, we've got to be aware of it. Another uh, guy who works, it's hard to pronounce this guy, I don't know how to pronounce it, Sajid Javid, Britain's community secretary, tweeted that Trump, quote, endorsed the views of a vile, hate-filled, racist organization that hates me and people like me. He's wrong, and I refuse to let it go and say nothing. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Hate-filled. What does that mean? That somebody highlights the fact that there's violence in Islam. How is that hate-filled? Isn't the hate the violence itself? And a racist organization, is, is Britain first a racist organization? Because it hides. No, I don't know if it is. You know, maybe, maybe they are white supremacists. I don't know if they are. Okay, maybe this guy's right about that. But it's not a racist organization because it points out that there are, there's violence in Islam. Because, again, Islam is not a race. I mean, you'd never hear somebody who, who – uh, you'd never hear somebody in the media say if, if somebody in a Christian organization uh, does something hate-filled, whatever that means, or does some violence, you would never hear uh, somebody else say, you can't say that about Christians. You're a racist. 
if they condemn the violence that a so-called Christian has done. You'd never hear somebody say in the media, you'd never hear somebody in the, in the mainstream media say to criticize Christianity as racist or what people do who claim to be Christians as racist. Why are we saying that about Islam? It is not racist. Whatever it is, it's not racist. Islam is not a race. Can we at least agree on that? And yet, the left is trying to make it a race so you cannot condemn the violence that goes on within it. I mean, this is another suppression of the truth. This is people who are denying the undeniable. And maybe the question you can ask people who say that to point out, who say that when you point out violence in Islam, it's racist, you might ask them, what do you mean by race? What is the race? First of all, let me, let me back out at a race for a minute. There is, there's only one race, the human race. There are different ethnic groups, but there's only one race, the human race. But if you want to use the term racist in the common sense it's used, fine. However you use it, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, Scientology, Mormonism, Jehovah's, whatever it is, they're not racist. They may be religions, they may be ideologies, but do not try and cover up for the violence that is perpetrated in any given religion, whether it's Islam or anything else, by trying to give them the protection that we give people who are of a particular race. Rightfully so, because race has no impact on your behavior. But your ideology does have an impact on your behavior. And obviously, as we've talked about on this program before, there's good reason to take some of what is written in the Quran, the Hadith, and what Muhammad said and did. It's, there's, there's reasonable interpretations of that right there to say that Islam is violent and that the people who commit violence in the name of Islam are doing it according to the Quran, according to what Muhammad said and did. You can't get that from Jesus. You can't get that from the New Testament. You can't get that from Jesus. It's the illogical outworking of Christianity violences. It's the logical outworking of Islam if you take the documents at face value. So, friends, let's just be clear-headed about this. Islam is not a race. And we shouldn't allow people to try and get protection that we give other true races by calling it a race. It's an ideology, and we ought to call it as much. All right, friends, sorry for this short podcast, but a radio program, that's all we could do. I'm Frank Turek. I'll see you next week right here for a full show. God bless. See you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.